Chelsea Fairless. And Chelsea Fairless just had a locks plate delivered to her room <laughs> because we're not together this week yet again. I know, I know. We're both in hotel rooms. I'm in New York and you're in an undisclosed location in South Florida. <laughs> okay, so Lauren just saw my food get delivered, my room service, and she saw the guy pouring my Diet Coke. Lauren, do you know how much this Diet Coke cost? $16. It was 10 but can you imagine having the audacity to charge $10 for a can of Diet Coke? However, would you be going down to a bodega to get a Diet Coke? I think not. That's the premium you're paying for. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I have a I have a lovely lox feast next to me that I guess I'm not going to eat until after we're done recording this, but... Oh, no, I think the audience will enjoy you eating while we talk about this episode. I mean, as this episode has shown, nothing really matters anymore, so whatever. <laughs> Yeah, um, Amy described this episode of And Just Like That as like the licorice pizza of And Just Like That episodes in the sense that you could cut out any scene and it wouldn't matter. Like you would still like it wouldn't change the plot. And these are our friends who are legit TV writers. <laughs> yes. Oh, but before we get into it, Lauren, guess who I had lunch with yesterday? Che Diaz? <laughs> yeah, I went to Empire Diner with Che Diaz. <laughs> No, I had lunch with Miss Candace Bushnell at the Carlisle, which was very much giving like Carrie and Louise in um, <laughs> whatever the scene with the love keychain is from the first movie. Wow. So for those who don't know, which if you're listening to this podcast, you have to know that Candace Bushnell is Carrie Bradshaw. She is the OG who wrote the book that Sex and the City is based on, but certainly not any text that and just like that is based on. <laughs> Yeah, it was crazy, Lauren, because so we like ate at the gallery, which is like attached to the bar. Basically, it's that room with the crazy red wallpaper. And like Candace yeah. comes in in this <laughs> red coat with like red fur trim. Like it was like exactly how you would imagine her. And then she like takes off the coat to reveal like this red plaid Dolce & Gabbana blazer. So she like completely like blends in with the room. Like I can't tell where the room ends and Candace begins but yeah it was fabulous she's uh she's pretty fierce i would paraphrase her in just like that opinions but i think it would be better to just get her on the pod yeah i wasn't i wasn't dare gonna ask what her opinion on this show is we'll save that but yeah i did ask her if they've ever asked her to be a real housewife and she said no isn't that crazy i mean not even a friend of well she's been a friend of already but anyway i was shocked by this news because if i was casting real housewives of new york she would be on the top of my list yeah we do need to have her on the podcast and then discuss the whole dorinda medley susan sharon connection i'm sure she'd be down anyway how are you like what's happening <laughs> i know we couldn't have different experiences right now i'm back in florida i'm here for my grandfather's memorial which I don't know. It's a very surreal experience. So he he got cremated. And so it's called an inurnment, which is the urn going into his crypt because my oh grandparents God. got a mausoleum spot. 
Wait, someone's ringing my doorbell. Hold on. Hold on. I promise I didn't order more room service. Okay, sorry. It was just some guy delivering two giant bags from Netta Porter, which aren't for me or Tad. I assume it's uh, work-related. Yeah, don't worry. My story of me mourning my grandfather can wait. You know, any day that involves Crips um visiting them which is how they refer to it as i would love to call it something else yeah there's got to be like what's a 2022 term for a crypt a chic marble resting place oh god i still can't believe this can of coke was ten dollars fuck also if we explain that you're in new york for your wife's work you're you're a taking care of woman you're like a (laughs) carrie when she sleeps with that guy and leaves her 500 bucks I'm just tagging along, you know, I want to see my friends, but I'm in the financial district, which is weird. I've never spent time here. Like, I wouldn't go here unless I had jury duty or something, you know? You're in FIDI? Oh, God. Yeah, I can feel the Mr. Big energy all around me, you know? Aren't you so close to where Sarah Jessica Parker's shoe store is? Oh, it's closing. Did you not hear? Oh, Sorry, SJP collection. The other, I think there's a Madison Avenue store. That's still open. But the South Street Seaport is closing. Uh, Chelsea, didn't she take over the Manolo Blahnik location that's across from MoMA? She did. She did. Yes. All right. Shall we get into some voicemails? Yeah, let's do it. Hi, this is Sam from New York. Agree with everything you guys said. But what's weird, and I've repeatedly referred to, as you say, the duplication of Miranda this season. What I find so shocking is that no one mentions Brady. She ended her marriage, hopped in a cab, going to Cleveland. Is she thinking at all? What about when my son gets home? They're not going to sit him down, not going to talk, not going to talk to him about this. Brady came home from where? College? Because he should be 20, but evidently he's 17. (laughs) Yeah, like what actually would that conversation be like? Hey, dad, like where's mom? Like, oh, she's in Cleveland with her non-binary lover. Like what? Someone named (laughs) Che. Shay Diaz? I get the sense that Brady would then have to be like, oh, they're a huge comedian. I was just at their rally. And then Steve's like head explodes. He goes, how deep does this conspiracy go? Well, also, I smoked weed with them at Mr. Big's (laughs) funeral. They go way back, Che and Brady. Man, Steve's reaction actually is way too chill, but we'll get into it. Yeah, I wonder like what happened with Brady. Kind of sad we missed that. Speaking of wondering what happened, let's get into our next call. Hi, this is Nicole here. I was just contemplating the last couple episodes and realized what happened to Miranda's alcoholism plotline. I mean, if and just like that is anything, it's random and made of many conveniences, one of which is you could just quit drinking. Yeah, I mean, Miranda's alcoholism plotline doesn't really speak to the cyclical nature of addiction, but I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's still time for her to relapse, but I can't really imagine that happening just because she seems to be on an upswing. Like, we've seen her down in the gutter for the whole season and now it seems like she's finally coming into herself well she's in a manic high she's just switched addictions it's gone from you know chablis to che diaz that's true but in this episode i feel like she was more like the old miranda than in any episode that we've watched thus far For sure. And it seems easy enough, even if there were production issues, let's say due to COVID, that you could just have her coming from an AA meeting or when, you know, one of the lunches she has 
with the girls that like, oh, I just came from such and such AA meeting. But it's true. It really it makes as the audience, it makes you think that she actually wasn't an alcoholic because of the ease of which she actually quit. Hey, guys, I love you. love the pod. Um, just thought it was absolutely urgent, pertinent information to know that it has been brought to my attention that the actress who plays Lily is um, actually 26. I was stunned by this and I'll probably honestly never get over it. I mean, it's giving orphan. You know, like the film Orphan that we reference constantly. Yes, that is not a slight on Lily's adoption. That is a reference to the Peter Sarsgaard, Vera Farmiga, banger horror film Orphan. (laughs) Yeah, where this couple thinks that they've just adopted a little girl, but actually it's like a 30-something-year-old Russian sex worker. Oh my God, we're going to offend the Russians again. Who has dwarfism of some kind? Anyway, it's not as shocking to me only because there's a grand tradition in media, television shows, and films of people in their 20s playing teenagers. I mean, Euphoria is just the latest example of this. So it's like, yeah, although 15 is a bit of a stretch. Well, she looks 15. Like, it, she definitely can pass for that age. It is disturbing, though, when you think about, like, the themes of this episode. I'm like, bitch, you're 26. You know how to put it in a tampon. Hi, every outfit. It's Evan calling. And I have a rather innocuous comment, but it's just something that kind of bothered me from this week's episode. And it happened in the opening scene at Lafayette, the switching of the soup and the baguette between Carrie and Miranda. I just feel like there's no world in which you order a sandwich and fries and I a soup and say, I wish I had ordered that. Like, I understand Carrie's instinct because she ordered the soup and she's like, yeah, I definitely would want the sandwich. I just don't think the reverse exists. Yeah, legit. Who would rethink a sandwich order? Especially the two characters that are shown. Like, I can't imagine Carrie is like a crunchy baguette and french fry girl. Well, what would happen is that like, wait, who ordered the sandwich? Miranda? Miranda, which absolutely makes sense. And Carrie ordered a soup. Yeah, Carrie would just keep stealing fries until eventually Miranda was like, just take it. Or Miranda would be like, here's half of my sandwich because half the time, like, the sandwich is too big anyway. And I get the sense that Carrie's like me and only eats half her meals at any given time. Yeah, Lauren eats like a bird. I do not relate to this or understand it, but I respect. It's called a Lauren portion. Thank you very much. <laughs> Lauren, like, picks at her food like how I imagine, like, Anna Wintour would just pick at, like, a, <laughs> a salad with a squeeze of lemon and dressing on the side. Um, do these episodes feel like fever dreams to you? It's hard for me to process this one. And I wish I listened to the Writer's Room podcast because I would genuinely like to understand the thought process behind it. But I absolutely do not. So, I mean, I guess I'll just process it here with you. Given how much our listenership has gone up, that there are a lot of people like us that need to to process these things. So first off, we were so wrong about Cleveland. It's as if Cleveland never happened. Frankly, I feel gaslit by this show. (laughs) Well, yeah, it is fun to have your expectations subverted even a little on the show because it happens so rarely. Like they did set us up to think that we would get to see Cleveland. It's also the promo that we watched was deceptive, which we assumed took place in Cleveland. But as we now know, just took place in um, Che's apartment building. That is probably in the east 
East Village, given the Vineros box. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so we don't know what happened in Cleveland. I mean, we assume that it went well, which is shocking. Yes, who knew? Because it's never mentioned. <laughs> It's as if this episode was written before the previous episode. Yeah, and they're like, oh, actually, we don't have the budget to do this Cleveland shit, so we're just going to pretend like it never happened. Yeah, it is bizarre. What happened? What happened in Cleveland? I don't know. Sounds like uh, it's time for us to write some fanfic. (laughs) Okay, if we had, like, erotic stories on our Patreon, would you guys be into that? Like... I mean, the scene is whatever. It's Carrie says she's having a do-over date. Again, it's like we have a bizarro Carrie. Because if Carrie is anything, and we like to make fun of the fact that like she's not really a sex columnist, but if she's anything, she's a romantic. And that's what's been absolutely zapped out of her. Yeah, and like while this guy seems like a very nice guy, it's like, is he worthy of three dates i don't know i'm not that compelled by it personally like i'm not that drawn into this particular relationship or invested in it but that's just me maybe people are and i'm so glad that two to three episodes ago we set up that naya wallace is working on a women's shelter so that miranda could then introduce and guilt her white friends into painting the shelter for this episode yeah i mean that's cute it's fun when they have an activity so this episode is written by the three og writers But I think the way that they're handling, I don't know, the language, trying to update it really work this episode. But then again, I'm a fellow white person, so maybe that's just me. But like saying you can't be the white lady who writes a check. And I was very proud of Carrie for not using her my husband just died excuse to get out (laughs) of it. I know. Shocking that she didn't. And also in this scene, we learn that Charlotte thinks that she is entering into menopause. It's then revealed that Miranda and Carrie are already there. I can't believe they didn't give Miranda a like portable fan as an accessory. Like they gave her this gigantic backpack, but no portable fan for when she gets a hot flash. Like what a perfect comedic moment to have happened during law class. Just a thought. (laughs) Yeah, but thank God that's like the one aging related thing that they actually dialed down. I'm shocked that it took us nine episodes to get into menopause. I mean, do they dial it down, given what happens at the end of the episode? (laughs) Carrie refers to it as the return of smug Charlotte, because she goes, you know, I don't have any of those awful symptoms you guys had. It's like, that's not smug Charlotte. That's the return of cunty Charlotte. Like, I don't. It's like, (laughs) Chelsea, if you spoke to me this way after 30 years of friendship, I'd be like, goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) We have uh, Lizette in the city. We interrupt this episode of it just like that to get into Lizette. Lizette in the city. Lizette with her one celebrity client, Scarlett Johansson. Like, you know, the names were bantied about in the writer's room. It's like, how did they settle on that? Why is there not a different person? Well, also, Scarlett Johansson just isn't someone I associate with fashion. Like, I don't know what the correct uh, Kim Kardashian wore my ring. Bella Hadid wore my ring. That's the better. We also learned that Lizette is a model slash jewelry designer, which is a very realistic profession. That explains everything. And her father is a wealth manager. No, that wasn't revealed. But again, I'm I'm sticking to this. (laughs) 
Yeah, because at some point, like, there's many models that pivot to jewelry design. It's just, like, kind of inevitable, especially if you're, like, a rock and roll model. Are you referring to Aaron Lawson? Well, exactly. But, I mean, this is all just to get out that Carrie still wears her wedding ring. And then there's a very awkward moment where she's like, oh, I'm in a long-distance relationship with my with my husband. With my husband, whose ashes are sitting in a Barney's bag. <laughs> Just 10 feet away from me. Although I do enjoy Carrie making things awkward because, you know, I think we're all Lizette. What do you say to that? You're like, uh, oh, anyway, if you could take a photo by the end of this week, that would help sales. Anyway, bye. <laughs> do you believe that Lizette loves Carrie's podcast or was she just saying that so she'd wear the ring? Oh, OK. Yeah, exactly. Like I can see Lizette fucking with Carrie, but I think Bobby and Shay is a bridge too far. <laughs> You know, you should have your own show, Carrie. Well, what podcast would Lizette actually listen to? Call her daddy. Or maybe she's like a red scare girl. I could also see that for her. Well, you called it, Chelsea. They are indeed having a they mitzvah. Yes, I'm I'm psyched for this. It does have an official name, which people DM'd us about and left voicemails about, but it both escapes us. We apologize. But they mitzvah is not the official term. No, but it is for Charlotte. So that's what's happening for Rock. And Lily is having a nervous breakdown because she doesn't want to use a tampon and has a pool party to go to. The following (sighs) month. I just, I did not like this plot line. I just want to see these women like shopping and fucking and doing fun shit. I don't want to know about Lily's period. Like, I just don't want to know. Well, I can't imagine how little, like, a gay man wants to know about Lily's period, like, <laughs> if I'm this worked up about it. I mean, it's very clear that this is the show that they wanted to tell. Also, was it just me? Or, like, was Lily at a 10 for this entire episode when everyone else was, like, at a 6 or 7? Like, I get that she's stressed out, but, like, I feel like she was just, like, running around screaming the whole time. I find that there is this tonal whiplash with the whole of And Just Like That, as we've now watched nine episodes, where it feels like I'm involuntarily flipping through channels, where at once it is this dramedy, and then it's as if a a channel is flipped and I'm watching some zany NBC multicam show. Well, it also is weird how, like, Miranda is getting plot lines that span through the season while all of Charlotte's are completely episodic. Just kind of strange. We are also neglecting to mention that there's a brief interlude with Anthony in the hot fella uniform because... (laughs) Oh, how did I forget that? Because I loved that. What a breath of fresh. Seriously, every time he's on screen, I just feel, like, rejuvenated. And that's the thing, though, is the writers that have written the things that we are very conflicted on are also the same writers that write these brilliant moments that we love. So, yeah, also to the people that are like, this show is garbage without Samantha. It's like they would write Samantha like they're writing everyone else. You know what I mean? Like you may just because it's Kim Cattrall, you may not like this version of Samantha. You can't assume that Samantha would be written the same way as she was on Sex in the City. Like they'd probably give her cancer again or something, you know? (sighs) Yeah, let's not even contemplate what storyline they would have given Samantha. Uh, So now we have Che and Miranda at Empire Diner. Cool. Nice to see a legit New York location. This is also a moment I felt gaslit. 
because the look that uh, Sarah, which we understand it's Sada Ramirez, but... Oh, yes. We're sorry for mispronouncing their name. Gives when Miranda says girlfriend is clearly a look of, you're not my girlfriend. Why are you using that phrase? I know. It's really upsetting to see. Although we did see Miranda, again, have more self-respect in this episode than she's had in the past eight episodes, because at least after the fans stop Che and they tell them about like, oh, you fucked my friend and my other friend, Miranda doesn't seem to be like jealous or upset about it. Like this is not the same Miranda that like dumped Steve because he fucked someone once. So she seems to have evolved a bit. Well, now that they're together, I'm sure all of that will stop. That's all in the past, Chelsea. Yeah. And now we've got Seema and Carrie at the club, which Evan Ross Katz left us another message and was like, am I old or do people not wait in clubs anymore? And it's like, I have to agree. I can't remember the last time I did slash would have waited in line unless it's Jumbo's clown room. Yeah, that's the only line that I will wait in. And even that line, I'll only, you know, I'll only do that if I'm really desperate and if it's like a three person line. <laughs> There's no way that Carrie would wait in a line, especially if you're that girl that used to walk to the front of the line at Bungalow 8. Like, you're not, like, waiting in line to go into some random club. Like, it's it's too dehumanizing. And I think, like, especially in New York, it's like you do all that stuff when you're younger. So then when you're older, you just absolutely cannot go back. I would have loved another insert shot of, like, Carrie texting Samantha and being like, Hey, babe, you up? Do you still know any club promoters in New York? But yeah, this is a very sort of obvious way to show that these women aren't young anymore, which, you know, seems to be the thesis of this show. We also get a, a necessary vaccine reference. Oh, yeah, that's the last line that Carrie waited in. I do have to say, I think what Molly Rogers has brought to Carrie this season is a new, like, stylistic trope, which is Carrie with the asymmetrical clingy dress with the slightly oversized blazer, which we got mm -hmm. in this scene. A different one from the Norma Kamali look she wore on her first date with the teacher. And I think this looks great on her. Yeah, I agree. I think the look was great. I would have loved to see, like, a full length of it because we didn't really see the shoes or anything, did we? We did not get a full a full look so anyway it's Seema's birthday which I feel like would have to have been revealed earlier if you're making me wait in line but fine yeah she just wants to go dancing they go to a diner she blows out a candle Seema you know asks well she also gets canceled by the doorman which I don't think is the correct use of the <laughs> use of no. the term canceled but whatever also i'm confused like you can still bribe doorman like where, was he offended that she didn't bribe him enough it reminded me of that scene in 40 year old virgin where leslie mann and a heavily pregnant katherine heigl try to get into the club and can't and he's like look i would let you into the club but you guys are old as fuck and she's pregnant <laughs> like what are you trying to do and then I thought it was a it was a lovely comedic beat that as soon as they walk off, he lets two other people into the club. Yeah. And then now they're at a, I think the same sad diner that Carrie spent many of uh, her birthdays in. Yes. And Seema ponders when she's going to meet her guy, which is, I don't know. I, I love Seema out of all the new characters. I feel like she's the one that blends in the best. Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, we love LTW also, but... 
I think Seema really did shine in this episode. And now we have like a better sense of her personality. And she is like, she fills Samantha's shoes very well, but she is her own person. And I'm here for it. But this is also just to introduce the fact that Carrie ropes in Seema to this painting event Saturday. Right. I have a question for you because she goes, I think we're too young for a matinee because Seema invites her to go to a matinee with her. And then she's like, oh, we're too young for that. It's like, I don't know. Is anyone too young for a matinee? Well, matinees are like an old people thing, although young people would be wise to embrace matinee culture. I love a matinee. A weekend matinee, of course. Especially like seeing like a movie in New York, like a good matinee. Also, the crowd at the a matinee is like really fierce, you know, because it is mostly old people and like cute. As I've told you, that's my favorite degenerate time to go to films is like Friday, 11 a.m. Yeah, no, it's perfect. Like, especially if you're going to like a film forum or something or like an IFC center anthology, like it's just like the true nerds. It's perfect. Okay, I think we're just we're going on this long because we don't want to get into Charlotte (laughs) showing Lily how to use a tampon. Okay, I just want to say that this scene opens like Lily has the weirdest energy. She's like manic. And then she's demanding that her mom show her how to use a tampon at the exact moment that her gay uncle is coming over, which just seems like why? Right. But this is what I was talking about earlier, because what's intercut in this scene is Carrie showing up for her date and letting this guy down because she just tried on her her husband's wedding ring and really is not ready to move on. So it's like, again, it's like at one point I'm in Grey's Anatomy and at another point I'm in an episode of Modern Family and like the whiplash I feel from these tonal changes. I really like I can't settle into the show at all. Also, like what teenage girl like wants their mom to be with them? when they put a tampon in and when they could just watch like a youtube tutorial like would you ever go to your mom and be like mom can you can you coach me while i put in a tampon for the first time i mean for women of our generation maybe but yes i think those lower than us also i love that she's like it's a tampon or nothing it's like well there aren't there's the period panties there's a diva cup like there are other options other than tampons these days yeah but you can't nothing will work for the pool party though you can't wear your like carla welch period underwear to the pool party by the way i will say i have tried carla welch's period underwear and it is like it feels like i don't know how heavy some of y'all's flows are but it seems like this shit was built for someone that is like having a miscarriage and has to go to work anyway like it's like it's a diaper anyway (laughs) moving on moving on anthony brings his date justin who he says uh is reading all the time but i guess as, as we learn what he's reading is conspiracy theory websites Right. I imagine this is a Shabbat dinner. Yeah. And uh, Justin goes, oh, is this a Jewish dinner? You know, the Holocaust is a hoax, which who would say that in front of, but fine. Yeah. Like maybe after like several drinks, there might be a conversation that leans into conspiracy theories and that sort of stuff. But no one just like rattles that off, like at the top of like the second they walk into someone's house also wouldn't you be like would you like to come to dinner at my friend charlotte and harry goldenblatt's house 
I don't know, whatever. While unrealistic, at least it was funny, the Anthony's response to it. A lot of people DM'd us, left voicemails that this episode came out on Holocaust Remembrance Day and felt that that joke was inappropriate. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that when they wrote these episodes in early 2021, they did not know that this exact episode would come out then, but also... That joke works with anything, right? You know vaccines are a hoax, right? Get out! You could have filled that in with any, you know, do you guys listen to Joe Rogan? Get out! (laughs) That joke works with kind of anything. It didn't have to be. Yeah, no, that's true. So then... Yeah, it's it's what I said. What's intercut with this is Carrie attempting to take her ring off because Lizette giving her a new ring makes her realize I'm still wearing my my old ring and instead of putting it away she puts John's on by putting a couple of band-aids on her finger so it will fit. I think she just needs to delete the teacher's number because every interaction they have is more depressing than the previous interaction that they've had. Well, this series is not for happiness. I don't I don't know why you keep searching for joy and happiness with these characters. You're not going to get it. You're right. I am just still a, I'm just a optimist at heart. I'm a I'm a real romantic like Carrie used to be, I guess. So now we have the Che Miranda apartment scene, which we had assumed took place in Cleveland, but it is Che's apartment that I assume is in the East Village, if the Vineros box is anything to go by. Yeah, she was craving her some Che. And evidently Che was craving some Pignoli cookies. Like, that's what I want to know is like, what's Che's Vineros order? I really liked this scene. I think this was the highlight of the episode. Go on. You don't think so? It's the most interesting episode, but it's also the scene I have the most issues with. But carry on. I think that Cynthia was really funny in this scene. When she says, like, who am I, Meg Ryan, and then screams fuck, it's like that feels like... Miranda. The character yeah. that we know. Well, finally, Miranda is self-aware. And she even says it. I just heard myself and saw myself. And I want to get as far away from me as possible. I mean, of course, Che is sending the craziest mixed signals, as always. You told Miranda that you loved her. And now you're telling her that you're not dating. Like, what reality is this? Oh, it's a reality I've lived in, which is why my eyes started to twitch when they were like, you know, I don't think we should lock us into limiting relation tropes. Like, I don't know if the writers understand this because maybe they're all in long-term relationships, but all of the language that they've given to Che are said by people who don't want to be serious with someone. Totally. Like, oh, we're just getting to know each other. We're not dating. Like, that's the most dehumanizing thing I've ever heard in my life. We're not dating, but I'm not fucking anyone else. But I want to see where this goes. But I love you. Also, I'm not fucking anyone else right now. They're not saying that because they're like, oh, I'm only going to fuck you from now on. They're like, right now it's just you. But that's going to change, obviously, as we the audience know. Che is a fuckboy. I'm sorry. Like, any way you slice it, Che is a fuckboy. Yeah. Also, like, I can't believe you love the scene because it ends with the don't call our relationship improv. I'm terrible at improv. <laughs> Can you imagine Che Diaz doing improv? Like, if we saw that, I would have to just commit suicide mid-episode. Yeah, it's... uh Che interrupting each scene. Because, you know, the <laughs> rules of improv is yes and. It's like, it's like, no, but here's a woke moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. The one good thing about this scene is... 
that Miranda does seem to have a degree of self-respect again, which we haven't really seen her have throughout the series thus far, even after Che's like, okay, come up. I want a cookie, which a line that they deliver like they're a baby or something. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever had Vineros? It's very good. <laughs> but then like Miranda's like, no, I'm, I'm fucking leaving. I'm eating these cookies myself, which is like, yes, like that is what, that's what our girl would do. Miranda is back. But also going back to earlier in the scene, and this is something that the writers are intentionally doing, like they did in the opening scene of the first episode with the, uh, you know, the bait and switch about Samantha being gone. It's like, Che goes, I'm not alone. Or I am, oh, I am with someone. That someone is me because I'm writing. It's like, don't do that. Don't, like, you know what the other person's going to think. They're going to think you're with someone. And the writers want us to think that Che is with someone, but they're not. They're just writing. <sighs> but I do love Miranda, like, marching down the stairs with this backpack. Before we exit this scene, like Miranda with her gigantic backpack, can we just talk about the moment where she screams, this has to work? Yeah. Isn't that the moment that you're like, I'm out? <laughs> What, if you're Che? If you're anyone. If someone screams at you. If I screamed at you, this has to work. You'd be like, you know, Lauren, I think this means a little <laughs> too much to you. I think we need to take a moment apart. Yeah, it it is unethical to lead someone on in this way that Che is doing if you know that they want more than you can give them. Like, if Miranda's screaming this at Che... Surely at that point, they're like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm probably going to go off to fuck some other person like tomorrow, you know, like maybe you shouldn't have left your husband. I don't, you know, it just seems weird. <sighs> anyway, let's just stop talking about this scene. <laughs> so the rest of the episode takes place at the at the charity house in Greenpoint, which we should say that in that scene with Seema and Carrie, Seema agrees to drive her there because she's afraid that Carrie is going to get lost forever. Just because the L train doesn't go... Well, that's the other thing about Greenpoint is... What subway is Carrie going to take from the Upper East Side to get there exactly? Carrie is too rich to take the subway. Yeah. Rich people don't take the subway. Unless they're running for mayor or something. And they want to appear relatable. Anyway, I enjoy this convenience because I like the fact that this is the episode where all the main girls supporting characters get introduced to each other in actually a really lovely moment. So yeah. I'm actually here for this. Totally. I mean, Seema was really funny in this initial scene, I think. She was like, oh, it's hard to be white now or whatever she said. I, but, and I again, I think that's a great way to handle, you know, update the language and the dialogue if you want to meet this like, quote unquote, more woke moment. I thought Seema had some of the best lines yeah i'm gonna be the brown lady writing a big fat fat check over here yeah she's like i'm not painting shit <laughs> love her for that love her boundaries and then i loved the bit where charlotte and ltw rock up in the limo in a stretch white limo it reminded me of us a couple years ago on new year's when leah insisted that we get a stretch limo <laughs> Thank God. I mean, we really rang in 2020 in style. We had no idea what was about to happen to us, but... I regret putting the kibosh on the hot tub stretch limo, which Leah was pushing <laughs> for <laughs> in retrospect. Yeah. I love how LTW comes out in this, like, deranged but incredible utilitarian safari glam squad outfit. She has, like, 50 compacts strapped to her. I think it's Moschino. I it has to be Moschino. Yeah, I don't know what else it would be. It's certainly not Scaparelli, although 
would love it. Although it's leaning into like a similar level of impracticality as your average Scaparelli look. And lazy surrealism, as you've pointed out with Scaparelli. Whatever. Scaparelli is fine. Did you see the show? Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about it later. Anyway, but it's really fun to see this kind of impractical outfit, which Samantha always delivered these kinds of looks in the series, you know, and Carrie, obviously, here and there. But Samantha was the one that was, like, wearing heels in a pool and stuff like that. And I feel like LTW is very much, like, carrying this torch. I saw the promo for the next episode, and she's wearing some, like, insane jeweled turban. It's like, I I appreciate this. And then we have... Another moment that feels like I'm in a different show. It's a show I like, but it's it's Andre Naya's husband looking longingly at uh, LTW's husband and their children painting. Okay, but is this really grade A parenting, just showing your kid how to paint? When you have baby fever, evidently, yeah. Naya acts like uh, Andre has been invaded by, I don't know, the baby wanting people. And so Miranda has a line about being programmed and she goes, look, I'm still programmed to be a girlfriend, which it's like Miranda just has an anxious attachment style. Like, do the writers think that when you start fucking a non-binary person, this goes away? Like, it's her attachment style. Like, she should work on being more securely attached. Yeah. What else happens? Seema meets the Emily in Paris guy. Who's also the Prada salesman. Cute. I thought this was a fun interaction. Yeah, and I'm sure the casting is very intentional. Look, they're setting something up earlier in the episode that gets paid off later in the episode, like an old Sex in the City episode. Love it. Yeah, totally. Steve takes Carrie under his wing because everyone pairs off. And uh, they have a depressing little scene together. Well, understandably, Steve has put two and two together. We imagine through this hypothetical scene that he had with Brady off screen between episodes. And he asks her, did you introduce them? Okay, this was the time when I was most shocked that she didn't play the widow card because she could have been like, they met at Big's funeral. That instantly just like takes away any sort of like responsibility for this situation. And it's also such an opportunity for Carrie to go I don't know what she's doing either Steve but she's my friend and I have to support her even if I don't agree with her yeah I was wondering how you felt about the whole it's not about being with women it's about being with the person thing because I know you have specific feelings about (laughs) people who feel that way I have specific feelings about people that are just like I don't see gender I'm just attracted to the person and yes I get that that is true for people that are pansexual but I think it also It's such a get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah, and there's a certain snottiness to the way that a lot of people deliver this. Like, they make everyone else seem like we're just, like, genital-obsessed, like, monsters. And, like, they're just above things like gender and and what have you. But also, Carrie could be like, you know, Chase got something. And Steve could be like, yeah, you're right. Chase got... I I see it. I get it. I don't agree with it. I don't like it. But, yeah, Chase got something. Because even if we do not agree with Chase's personality, Chase is hot. Yeah, it's true. Carrie steps in paint. Again, because we've entered into a Modern Family episode. The ring goes down the drain, which Steve retrieves. There's also a brief interlude. This is where the whole my tampon has gone missing sequence happens. Oh, God. I don't I don't want to talk about it. Okay, I just have one thing to say. Wouldn't you just do a swipe down there and be like, oh, there it is. <laughs> What do people not want to hear more? Us talking about tampons or Lily and Charlotte talking about tampons? It's just, 
I think it's Charlotte saying the phrase tushy crack. <laughs> also, like the part where Charlotte was like, just picture butter melting. <laughs> like, <laughs> am I just going to picture butter melting like every time I use a tampon for the rest of my life? Did you think that Lily was going to pass out in the porta potty when she was hyperventilating? Because I did. Yeah, because she was having a panic attack. Again, Lily's at a 10 when the situation does not call for it. I mean, I think that might be a little more realistic than we're willing to admit to teenage girls, which we were once those girls that I'm sure our mothers would be like, yeah, no, you behave that way. I don't know. I did love this line that Miranda has, although it doesn't feel native to the show or her. Oh, when she said I repressed it immediately? Not that one. When, when she goes, Charlotte, why were you going in and out of the bathrooms? Do you have a Coke problem now? <laughs> oh, yeah. That sounded like something I would say. <laughs> yeah, I was into it. Again, it's, it feels more aligned with how we've understood this character in the past. Anyway, Charlotte gets a spontaneous period, which I feel so dumb for not calling that this is where the story's gonna go when she showed up in an all-white overall suit because my goal this year is to wear more white because since I was a teenager <laughs> I've lived in fear of wearing white pants for the fact of what if my period starts and right gets all over my pants yeah but like does it ever really happen like that I don't know well, I told you that's when I stopped watching The Queen's Gambit because <laughs> I could tell it was written by a guy when she discovers she gets her period because she goes to the bathroom and it's gone all the way down to her fucking ankle. I'm like, okay, a dude wrote this. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Whenever people get their period in movies, it is like apocalyptic. It is like Carrie. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's like the scene in The Shining where the <laughs> elevator doors open with all the blood. <laughs> Yeah. No, actually, though, I understand, like, the thought process behind, like, oh, we need to exaggerate this or whatever. But <laughs> it's like, I've never in my life, that's like someone that's like giving birth or something. <laughs> like, Charlotte, is Charlotte giving birth in this scene? I don't know. And then Miranda tells a story that I really wish we had seen on the show, which is she she also got a flash period while she was arguing a court case. Well, I would just love to see Miranda in court once. Like, it's literally never happened. Like, just one time. Then we have Naya and Andre have a conversation about, I want a kid. And she's like, I don't. So there's that. Yes, they're clearly not aligned on this. Which I'm sure is, is real to life. Totally. But it is weird that she already went through two rounds of IVF. Like, wouldn't you come to this place before? I don't know. I'm sure, whatever. I'm sure this is realistic to someone's journey for sure. And then we are finally back to our Sex in the City episode with Carrie and Steve, who have this moment of bonding over the fact that they're not going to take their rings off. That was depressing. I understand what they're trying to do. But they have to accept the fact that, like, the audience just isn't going to get on Miranda's side with this. If you keep showing me scenes where Steve's like, I'm glad she's happy, but, you know, I took vows and this means everything to me till death do us part. And his acting is beautiful and heart-wrenching in this scene. Yeah, no, it really is. And as people have written us, there was some sparkage between Carrie and Steve. Carrie and Steve make sense as a couple. We did a post a couple of years ago where it was all the couples who weren't that we wish were. And one of them was Carrie and Steve, right? He could show her all the great vintage stores in Queens. Yeah. And she needs someone that's kind of more like easygoing. I mean, 
like Aiden obviously had that quality, but I think Steve is just like, it makes more sense than Steve and Miranda to me anyway. Also, if you want to do a Chandra Rhymes sexy drama with very flawed characters, have Carrie and Steve fuck. I will happily watch that. If Carrie and Steve fucked, I would be, oh yeah, we that has to happen. I hope that's what happens in the next episode. One thing that I thought was strange about this episode is literally nothing is set up. Like, I feel like usually when you get to this point in a TV show, they set up the last episode. So it's you're like, oh, what's going to happen? Okay, but it's wonderful that you're so optimistic. But as we've been shown by them from the previous nine episodes, they set up things that they're like, oh, no, we never meant to do that. What are you guys talking about? Why would you think that? Well, they're setting up Rock's They Mitzvah, and they're setting up the third date with the teacher, neither of which feel high stakes at all. The penultimate scene is that Carrie puts her ring away, which I wonder if the writer's intention with the scene with Steve was it resonated with Carrie that he's not taking the ring off because it's till death do us part. And because her husband died, okay, it's the, you know, it's okay to relinquish this. Or she's like, I don't want to be like this. No, I think that she saw, you know, because she said, you know, Steve, like, you're a great person. Like, don't you think that you deserve basically to... Don't you think I look sexy in these overalls and no one's in this room right now? (laughs) So I think she saw herself in Steve. She was like, oh, well, I would want Steve to move on and start dating. Like, that would be the correct thing. I should apply this towards my own life. I should apply this sort of like empathy to myself and give myself permission to move on. Which your point is not with this teacher, (laughs) maybe someone else. (laughs) Well, look, I don't want to be slamming our educators the backbone of our society. But to me, I'm not that invested in the teacher. If the teacher just was never seen again, I would not think twice about the teacher. I'm not even that invested in Carrie's grief story. (laughs) I'm more invested in figuring out if that Dior clutch is the one from market to market, the first episode of season (laughs) six. Yeah, but I'm interested to see the final episode because I imagine it might be more like the first two episodes in that there has to be aspects of it that are gleamed from the lost Sex in the City 3 script. Because it feels like the first two episodes of the show were Sex in the City 3, and, and then we're going to have to return to that with the scattering of the ashes. And like however they plan to end that movie is probably how they're going to, you know, things are going to wrap up for Carrie. Well, the last scene is Seema and Carrie at the club that they get into, and then the And Just Like That, which I thought was one of the weaker And Just Like That's was, And Just Like That, I was up for a dance. Don't talk to me about this And Just Like That. Yeah. <laughs> I, just wanted to, I, I just wanted to get that out of the way, and then we can talk about the preview for the next episode, because there is a scene of Carrie looking surprised to see someone And I wonder if, because we know from paparazzi photos that she went to Paris, we've heard through page six that there is a scene, a sequence where she's going to dump the ashes. It was supposed to be, you see Big again. I wonder if that's the middle part of the episode. Like her talking to Big's brother is maybe the beginning. She goes to Paris, which they haven't shown us. And then the end is Rock's day mitzvah. And then there is this shot you see where it seems like she's at a wedding or the day mitzvah. 
and she seems surprised to see someone. And again, this is my own fantasy of how the season ends, that maybe that's Aiden. Yeah, I think it has to be Aiden. Also, the wedding, isn't that Bobby and his girlfriend's Oh, Bobby wedding? and Smoke's wedding? Great. Sure. <laughs> I forgot her. I forgot that her name was Smoke. How could you yeah. forget the fashion designer Smoke's name? <laughs> I love the side characters for the side characters. <laughs> and just like that feels like, I don't know if you have friends or acquaintances like this that talk about their acquaintances and friends as if, of course, you know this person. It's like, I'm sorry. I can't keep track of all of this. <laughs> Like, I don't care about the interior lives of Jackie, played by the comedian Bobby Lee, and his girlfriend Smoke, who we met two episodes ago's wedding. Also, someone called into the hotline about this and was basically just like, how does Carrie not know this, that he has a girlfriend? Like, what do they talk about on this fucking <laughs> podcast? And just like that, another episode is done. Yeah, we only have one more. And, uh... We got a page six article this week that's like, we might get another season. So the writers can prove a point, I believe is what, what the headline said. Is the point fuck you? <laughs> <laughs> They're probably going to give Charlotte ovarian cancer in season two. I know that I have talked a lot of shit about this first season, but I will just point out that a much-beloved show that had also a similarly rocky beginning was the show Parks and Rec that had a notoriously shitty first season, and they retooled it in the second season, and then the show got great. And I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm also saying it's maybe more possible if, if you hire us, which is probably an improbability given what we've <laughs> talked about the last nine episodes. But Yeah, I think we've burned our bridges Um <laughs> with that in that department yeah there is definitely i mean we hope to god that there's a season two it's great for business and yes there is a path forward i think part of our frustration with and just like that is that there are elements of it that do work you know and there are things that we feel like as an audience we're like grasping onto but again it's like we're pulled in so many different disparate directions and they get almost there like it's in the ballpark right oh all right guys so we'll be back next week with a call-in show if you would like to leave a message that we can discuss please give us a call at 323-486-6773 and uh, as always thank you guys for listening and staying with us on this journey bye bye